Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to a new uh, episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Today we're going to have a little bit of a lighter episode. I feel like we've had some uh, some heavy topics, which are which are good. But uh, today we're going to just talk about uh, working remotely using Zoom, which is I think uh, definitely fits into technology, and I think it can also fit into the whole uh, uh, the discussion about inclusion because I think in a lot of ways being able to work from Zoom or work remotely uh, promotes more inclusion. But I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Um, I have sort of mixed feelings about working from Zoom. Half of me loves it, and I would rather only go to meetings on Zoom than ever go to a meeting again in person. And the other half of me, like, just misses seeing people. And uh, I think part of that is all of, uh, you know, 2020 and COVID and all that, and just, like, you know, never seeing people in person. But uh, I would rather do that for, like, lunch things, not necessarily meetings. <laughs> what about you, Rochelle? How have you, how have you liked working from Zoom? Um, I like Zoom. Um, I think the security requirements to keep Zoom up and going um, is it, it seems to have they seem to have more um, updates than most applications do. Oh, I yeah. mean, because almost every week or a month they're sending a new security or some type of update. That's been a bit of a challenge. Um, but I will say I like both. Um, I am an introvert by nature. I am uh, quiet and shy. No one would believe me when I say that. But uh, <laughs> if you saw me uh, in a party or somewhere, you wouldn't get, that's the same woman who's always talking. No, um, but I, I, I'm not a big fan of, of uh, groups and, and, and large groups and all that stuff. But in order to grow how we live with each other, I think it's important that we have some kind of contact because I think that although the inclusion model fits nicely into Zoom, it also presents opportunities for us to move further away from each other because yeah. now, you know, you remember when we were going, we were having our monthly lunches and we were going to various restaurants, you know, we got mm -hmm. to see what people eat, you know, we got to, we make fun of Vernon because he only eats American food, you know, we, we, get, <laughs> we got to learn a lot about, about people, you know, you know, Andy is a carrot kind of guy, you know, so you yeah. get to know people in a different way when you're in person than you do in uh, digital means, but um, I think that if we, if we had a magic wand and we could tap it, uh, you'd have maybe three days that you go into the office or three days you stay at home and two days you go in. So you have that human interaction. Yeah. But I think we still have a lot to learn about this virus and, you know, mask wearing, as we talked about uh, not too long ago about, you know, COVID. But, yeah. but I think we've got a lot to learn before we come up with a model that works for everybody and everything. Um, and so I think that there's value to having these, these uh, digital uh, meetings. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Uh, thinking about like going back into work and going into like, well, I would like to see everybody. And again, like I'm not against mask wearing, like absolutely have to wear masks. But I wonder if that also sort of is a detriment to in-person meetings. Like if you're going to a meeting and everybody's wearing a mask and no one can see your face, like what sort of personal cues are we missing out on? As opposed to actually being able to see everybody's face on Zoom, which I think is a big benefit. I think you're straight on there because that's one of the questions that we always have, you know, and so it, it and I only say this just a little bit, but mm -hmm. 
for people of color to have, you know, if you're in the wintertime, you got your face covered, you got a hoodie or a hat or someone that kind of makes you more susceptible to people being afraid of you. So I think that going into an office where, you know, you might be wandering around, you don't know everybody there, there's an opportunity for that to go left. So I do agree with you that the mask wearing does make the thought of going into the office, you know, a bit more of a question that we can just, you know, say, yes, we are, or no, we're not. We have to figure a way to get the right policies in place that protects everybody and ensures that we're meeting the mission or agenda that we've defined by in-person or remote. Yeah. You know, that's an interesting uh, thing talking about like uh, bringing up like hoodies and walking around with a hoodie and how that like, even like when I go out on a walk, like a lot of times the weather will be a little chilly and I'll wear a, a hoodie and I'll be like, oh, I don't know if I should put my hat, like, should I put the hood up? Like, am I going to look suspicious or people going to, you know, and it's just something weird to have to think about nowadays. Where do you think the, but the I think whole... it's, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, where do you think the whole, like, like, and again, like I do this too. When I think of someone walking, you know, down the road, wearing a hoodie with the hood forward I'm like oh is something shady happening when and I don't I don't understand where that thought comes from because a hoodie has been associated with black men as 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 a whole um you remember Trayvon Martin um mm -hmm. you know he's walking around this is a kid walking around with a hoodie you know and my son wears hoodies almost year round um yeah. I don't think he covers his face but he has his hoodie up on over his head you know and so you know, I think that we are moving closer to where everybody recognizes that the stigma associated with a hoodie is, is kind of falling apart, but it's still there. And now that we're in the middle of COVID and you've got a hoodie, a mask and something else cloaking your identity, because yeah. if you think about this, you know, in terms of crime, you know, what was it that people wore? You know, they wore hoodies and things to, to uh, mask their face so that they can get away with their crimes. So I think that that's probably where the stigma comes from. But yeah. I think that you just yeah. said you wear a hoodie and you wear, your, you wear yours up. I think a lot of people are now recognizing that this is not the, the, the uh, deadly garment that has been perceived <laughs> to be for such a long time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other thing that I've, I didn't think would make as much of a big deal when we started wearing masks and going out, it would be like, just like tiny social interactions. Like when you walk some like back in the day when you would walk by somebody and smile, you would usually get like a smile back or some sort of acknowledgement. And now when you go out and you wear a mask, I'm thinking about like, you know, not just going out, but if we were in meetings as well, like you don't get that social cue back. Like you smile at someone, maybe they're smiling back, maybe they're not, maybe they're scowling, like who knows? It's just sort of a, a blank slate. And I did not think that I would miss that feedback, but I definitely do miss that feedback and having just like tiny, you know, almost like, micro transactions with people just hey how's it going like i'm happy i'm not here i'm not i'm not being grumpy it's and you do that now and it's like you know they don't see anything and you don't see anything back and you just sort of continue the day and miss out on that tiny bit of interaction yeah i i think that uh, your eyes smile i mean like when you smile i just saw your eyes smiling so if i didn't see you from there i saw your eyes smile so <laughs> yeah. i think that's yeah you know, if you wrinkle up your forehead, you kind of get a sense. So you still are able to get some cues from the face. They may not be as reinforcing as they had been, but you still get yeah. some cues from the face from that. Now, I got on my glasses. Can you see if I smile? Can you see why oh, I smile? Yeah. Because yeah. I frown so much that it's just it's a natural thing. I don't know what that is, but I'm always furring my brow, as my children say. <laughs> but um, I think it's 
you know, we're at this place where there's so many things that we have to dissect to understand what they mean and how we go. And I think the point that Zoom and some of the other digital uh, resources, you know, provide us, you know, a really nice picture. So you get to see I'm in, you know, my, my curtains, my workspace back there, you know, my lighting. So you get to see even more about me. So you know more about my taste and more about me than you would normally. Because normally all you see is the person that I bring to our meeting or whatever it is, you know, but you yeah. don't get to see me in my home environment. You don't get to see how often my children walk into my room and start talking to me while I'm in the middle of a chat or something. You know? <laughs> yes. But, but you can tell something changes because I look up or I look differently than where I'm looking normally. So you do get some other, I don't know if that's a plus or a minus, but you do get some more with these digital resources that you don't normally get when you're in person. Oh, I think it's definitely a plus. Uh... I would add to that uh, pets and babies, like being able to see people's pets and babies, like, oh, that would be, it's it's amazing. Like, and I hate when people are like, oh, let me get the pet out of the camera. It's like, no, no, bring that cat back. I want to see that cat. That cat is beautiful. Or that baby, that baby's so cute. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And a good number of my diversity chats, somebody will show up and they're in the middle of a chat and they're babysitting their kid because their significant other has gone out and the child is in the chat too. I love it. I think that's so wonderful, you know? So I do think that digitally we do get other options that we don't necessarily get because, you know, most employers don't let you bring your dog to work. You know, they may have a day or two to bring your children to work, but for the most part, you're kind of like, okay, just you. So this does add a little bit of adventure, if you will, to the, to the, uh, digital access. Yeah. Yeah. And like you were saying too, like just being able to see the person like sort of in their own habitat. Like I, you know, I never knew what your house looked like before. And now like we've done these and I've never been in your house, but I feel like I have a pretty good, like, you know, understanding of sort of where things are and, you know, where you're sitting. And it's nice seeing people like in new rooms. I I would say I'm bad at that because I'm always in the same room, but other people use different rooms and that's nice to see. Do you think that it... You're going to have to come over and visit sometime when we get past COVID. Uh, So if Vernon can come to my house, he can come. I think Vernon's been twice, so I'm sure you can come. Oh, I will definitely be up for that. I'm I'm very much looking forward to it. And I hear that the food is like amazing. You may may be a very good cook is my understanding. (laughs) There's no maybe about it. I am an exceptional (laughs) cook. Uh, uh, I will tell you, even today to this very day, yesterday somebody called me up and said, can you make me a cheesecake? (laughs) So I get everything. So people want a cake, they want a meal, they want this, they want the other. My husband decides yesterday is Taco Tuesday. So I got to make tacos. So I cook and I cook a lot. I love to cook. Uh, I grew, I think I told you this, I grew up poor. So Mm -hmm. cooking has been that thing to me that kind of addresses, you know, food and the way you connect with people. Because if you can connect with food, you almost can break down any barrier. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a little bit off topic, but like, if you had to pick like the one dish that you know, like that is your like signature thing, what what would it be? Ribs. Um, You know, um, people. So, so, so people love my ribs and it comes from an old recipe that goes back in my family, you know, so we slow cook ribs. I mean, so not on a grill or anything like that, but you know, we slow cook the ribs. we flavor the ribs days in advance. So they typically what happens with some of my ribs, like if I'm going to have ribs on Friday, Mm -hmm. today they will go sit in a honey side, wash them, season them and put them in honey, honey coating the entire rib and then put it in the refrigerator for two days. And then when it gets ready to cook, that honey is already permeated that meat so much that you taste that honey sweet taste and the rib beyond what the barbecue sauce or whatever topping you're putting on there has. 
Uh, that that sounds amazing. I'm gonna have to like clean the drool off off of my microphone <laughs> after this. <laughs> Tell so, your wife to come cook with me. She can make you some. We can uh, do it virtually. We can cook virtually together. Uh, well, Tell that- her I- Tell I have a, a you remember Lee Reiner's we we did a chat with mm-hmm. Lee Reiner's Lee Reiner's wife loves my barbecue I'm, I'm sorry blueberry salmon she, oh. so I make blueberry salmon and so you know if she's coming or if she's you know talk you got some blueberry salmon okay yeah we'll get ready for you. So. <laughs> I've never even heard of like never even thought about blueberry and salmon together and that sounds delicious it's a wonderful combination it's really good especially with a little light salad it's really good we're not supposed to be talking about food oh, yeah. too yeah 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 let's see this is what this is what happens when we record at lunchtime. <laughs> so do you think and I go sort of back and forth on this too like if all meetings sort of switch to like the zoom format or the remote format do you think that that is an advantage to inclusion or a disadvantage I could like part of me thinks well it's an advantage because everybody's got a computer everybody is suddenly like you know on the same plane there's no you know, having to come into a specific spot and having to worry about transportation and all that. And then the other me is part of me is like, well, you're also not actually interacting with a person. So is that, a, you know, sort of a bad thing with it? I think it's both. You know, um, you made an assumption that may not be a fact that everybody has a computer so, or yeah. have access. You know, if you're in rural parts of the world, you know, you, the infrastructure might not be there for Wi-Fi or whatever. Um, yeah. internet traffic provider you have. Um, so there's that. Um, one day, um, maybe in March, I don't know what day it was, but uh, I think it was a Saturday or a Sunday. My son had a, a tournament, a game a game tournament, and we lost everything. Uh, you know, no internet in the house at all. No yeah. Wi-Fi, nothing. Yeah. But, you know, we have data on our phones. We have cellular data on our phone. And so you can, you know, ride off your phone. You know, even that is a learning curve because not everybody knows what that means. And oh, yeah. further, and further to that, your data rates are going up because now you're writing on data in addition to, you know, using your phone to provide your resource yeah. resources. So that's that's a that's a that's an economic issue, you know, that needs to be addressed. But then the other part of that is if you are and I think this is true of a great number of technicians, we are not as gregarious or outputting as other people are we tend to be more reserved more um, I used to tell people when I was young in IT they had a black closet that they put all the IT people in they threw a piece <laughs> of meat in there every once in a while but they kept the door locked so they didn't yeah. let us out <laughs> to, yeah. to get out to destroy the rest of the world but um, you know I think we learn to work by ourselves we learn to work in very small groups so for IT people this is one of those places where this has you know, like been a blessing in a lot of ways because we get to go back to our cave and work, you know, more alone, although we may have meetings and work with other people on projects, but we get to be more alone. And then you go on the other side for those people that are gregarious, you know, nobody wants to hear somebody talk for an hour and a half about what they posted on Facebook, you know, so spare me that. I, you know, I don't want, but, but, but in a way, that's the way some people communicate. So you've got to learn to live with both. So there's that. And then the other side of that is, is for those people of color, and I do not like to use that word, so let me use my word. Black and brown people in a lot of ways um, tend to be apprehensive, if you will, about new or unknown connections. So if we were to bring somebody into our conversation and they didn't know you, but they knew me, Mm -hmm. they would make some assumption about you because I know you, 
But then they would be, well, what can I say in front of him? What can I share with him? What can I tell him? And this might be true of all communities, not just black and brown communities. I just think it's a little bit heightened in black and brown communities because how could this hurt me? You know, how could this come back to haunt me? So, you know, you've got to find some way to balance this virtual process with the humanity of who we are and how we all interact. And there's none of us that's exactly the same. So I live in a house with three other people. My husband is an uh, outgoing introvert. I don't even know what that is, but uh, he is, uh, he's, he, you know, he's not the kind to just start talking to people or go up and, you know, he's, 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 he's reserved. Um, but he's, you know, once you get him talking, you know, he ain't going to shut up. So that's, that's him. My daughter is an extrovert to the extreme. So she is, you know, way over there. Um, and then my son is exactly the opposite. My son prefers not to talk to you, prefers not to interact with you, not to see you, not to anything. So, you know, when we, we used to have these huge parties at our house. And so I'd always make him come downstairs. He'd come downstairs and fix his plate. And I always have a ritual. So I'm gonna tell you this, if you ever come to my house, everybody mm-hmm. has to stand up in a circle Say, say their name, say something about themselves to get to know the crowd. Because if not, people isolate in their pockets and they only get to know a few. But oh, that yeah. circle thing I do, and I will tell you, everybody hates it. But that circle <laughs> thing that I do, it makes everybody get to know everybody else. So at least you know that person's name, you know something about that person, and you can decide whether you want to go talk. To, and that has caused a lot of people to expand their networks in their communities because of that circle. So if you can imagine 70 or 80 people in a circle, each one going around the room and talking about themselves, but it's broken down some of those barriers that we naturally put around ourselves because we don't know whether we're talking about gender, race, you know, whatever the thing is, that's the barrier. We kind of take that away and say, Hey, you know, you're just a human being and you're going to talk to these people. And it's really worked really well. Yeah. Um, in the times that I've done it, although I will, you know, with the caveat, everybody hates it, but I love doing it because it really does help. So I think that's one of those things people probably dread because I think a lot of people just don't like saying like anything in front of people, especially people that they don't know. But then when you, when people start talking, sometimes you like, they won't shut up. So I I like that part too. Absolutely. And that's exactly what happens. And, you know, the other part of that is it's like, we, we, we are reserved to a certain degree. We don't want everybody to know everything about us, but you know, so if I know your name, what does that mean? I know your name, but if I know that you are um, uh, a photographer, mm-hmm. I might ask you some questions about pictures or something. So it's a, it's a tool to break down the barriers that are almost organically around us when we're in groups and settings, especially when groups and settings with people we don't normally interact with. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it's almost like a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Richmond. It's like, oh, well, we both lived in Richmond and both, uh, you know, had connections to VCU. And it's like, ah, I've known Rochelle for like five or ten years now, and just like had no idea about that. And we talk all the time, but like it's just another one of those nice connections. Uh, one of the things that reminds me of as well that uh, uh, one of the guys you were talking with in one of your diversity chats had brought up that. Uh, one of the things he appreciated as a student was having uh, a community of other black students where he could have sort of a, a safe space to like feel comfortable and like, I guess be himself for, I'm not sure if that's the word to use. And that really rung, that sort of hit me hard. Cause I was like, Oh God, like what, what are people doing to make uh, black and brown people not feel welcome like how can we what's the and this is again probably getting off of the off the topic of zoom but 
part of me was like, oh God, like it's awful that he has to have like a different community to go back in to feel safe. But then the other half of me goes like, well, Drew, like that's okay. Like people can have their own communities. Like, you know, I, I don't know what the question is, but what's sort of the right balance to that? Like, I feel like we, everybody should be welcome to feel themselves in any setting, especially school or work. But like, how do we promote that without being too like intrusive, I guess is the question. I think that, that you have to understand structurally why that's necessary, right? So if you take our, our little group, Texan Collab, I don't know, what is mm -hmm. it, 60 of us? I don't know how many of this it is, but however many of us it is, mm -hmm. you know, it took time to feel comfortable with all of those people. Yeah. It for I'm speaking for me now. It took me time. So, you know, you said we we've known each other now, believe it or not, 11 plus years. So yeah. we've known each other for quite a while. And although I have known you for a, a while, I knew about you. I know you're smart. I know what you do at Duke, but I did not know you. So yeah. what's the chances I would come and ask you if I got a problem, Drew, will you help me with this? It took getting past that place to know you to do that. So when I first came to Duke, Vernon was the pers first person I really knew. And <laughs> Vernon put himself out there saying, anything you need, I will help. Yeah. And Vernon has been that for me ever since. I mean, Vernon is just, how did I know that there were other people like Vernon? Yeah. So when we hired Dan, you know, Dan was that same person. So, you know, he, he put himself out there like that. But a lot of other people, you know, you're, you're, you're treading water. Do I really want to, you know, put my toe in the water and see if this person is going to accept me? Yeah. So when you, as a black person, comes to a predominantly white environment, so such as a predominantly white college or a predominantly white place of employment, where is the safe space? So, and I think I told you this before. So, like, let's just say Apache. Right. So I understand Apache. I, I used Apache a long, long time ago, but I would not consider myself an Apache guru. Right. So if I have a question, if Apache crashes or it, you know, destroys some process while it's running or something like that, who would I ask? So as a black person, the first thing I would do is Google it. Yeah. What does this mean? But now is there a trusted source that can interpret what I just Googled? Right. So yeah. can I ask and, and the question about the trusted source is if I ask you, uh, Drew, Apache crash and it keeps crashing every night at two o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. What are you going to think about me? Are you going to say she should know that or she should understand that or she should have a better understanding of how Apache works or whatever it is that you may come up with. But will you judge me as being less than? Will you judge me as being not equal? Will you judge me as not being smart? So as a black person, I'm always leery of that. How do you see me? You know, yeah. if I ask you a question, will you assign some value to me? So when you're with your other friends, you will say, hey, you need to watch out for that Rochelle. She, I don't think she really understands how these uh, systems work and she's gonna, you know, really bog you down with questions. If that's the impression that you lead with, and then you share that with others, my reputation is defined for me before I ever get a chance to build it myself. So that's a part yeah. of why people need communities. So a safe space, I can ask a question. Now, I'm just bold enough and maybe old enough that I don't care what anybody thinks about me. So if I have a question, no matter how stupid it is, I'm going to ask it. Yeah. 
what you assume about me for asking me it is between you and your ears. But I, I also think I tell you this, Dan's favorite response to me, and I don't care how, what we're talking, I could talk to Dan about blueberry salmon. He'll say, Rochelle, again, a salmon is a creature that lives in the ocean. Like, did I ask you that? I just, we were just, but you know, so it got to the point where it became a running joke. So if you asked Dan something, he was going, if I asked Dan something, he was going to tell me again. Okay. 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 That, which implies that he told me this before. Yeah. I accept that is complete facts. It could be he told me before. I probably forgot. But will he judge me? And he does not. And that's the place where you have to get to as a person where you feel comfortable that the judging, if there is any, it does not bother you or affect you or how you see yourself or how you move about in the space that you're in, especially yeah. if you grew up in a world where you were predominantly around black or brown people, and then you end up in this space, or for example, if you're white, and then you end up in this black and brown space, how do you do that? Now, I'll tell you a quick yeah. little short story. Yeah. I have a friend who married a white guy friend who married a black woman. Mm -hmm. And so his, her family was in the South, um, you know, a real tight, close-knit family, you know, cooking is the life of everything, but they had music, you know, they're always talking, you know, and all these things. And so he was a bit of a shy guy. And so when he went into this family, he didn't feel like he belonged, you yeah. know, and he would say things sometimes that was a bit offensive or out of the range. So you have to learn how to feel comfortable in those environments to get to the point where you can trust those that are different from you to not judge you or penalize you for being different. Yeah, that's that uh, it, it absolutely does. That's a, that's a great explanation. Like how would, and like, when I think about these sort of interactions, like it makes me cringe thinking about like what people are probably saying that they shouldn't be saying, like making judgments when someone asks them something and now this judgment has been made and that person is like, you know, either never going to ask the question again or never come to that person again like ever and what I would sort of like is to have like and again it's hard when you're not part of that conversation but I feel like if more people were involved in that sort of conversation you know maybe somebody else could jump in and be like well hey you know like Rochelle doesn't know about the cron that runs at 2 a.m every morning like that's not her job why would she need to know that like that's not uh you know, there's no need to make that judgment call, but at the same time, it's like, well, how many people do you want to like get involved in the conversation as well? So, that's a... and, 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 you know, one of the examples I have is, is the students, a lot of the students that I associated with, you know, they formed their own communities to study, yeah. you know, so they didn't feel like the resources were given to them. They didn't feel like they were a part of the larger student group. So they turned internally to themselves to find the answers. And that worked for them. I mean, they were really yeah. tight knit. What one didn't know, the other one knew and all those things. And they didn't make judgments about each other. But in, in other situations, especially when you're going outside your ethnicity or your gender or whatever, you're going outside of that space, you know, mm -hmm. there are assumptions that are made about you that you have no control over. And in a lot of times, it almost makes you feel helpless because, you know, if you're going to judge me because of what I know about Apache or don't know about Apache, yeah, do, you're making some whole bunch of assumptions about me. So if I am um, a programmer or something, and it's my job to keep Apache running, I should know enough to keep Apache running. 
but you expect me to know Apache from top to bottom, backwards, forwards, sideways, all the, what causes a job to abort, you know, all, you expecting me to know all of that. And if that is the case, then do I get to learn anything else? Because if I have to know Apache that well, can I learn anything else? But can I then rely on other people who are, who have experience with Apache, who, who, who have had similar experiences? Can I ask that? And so in our, in our work, there are these community groups, right? So there's a ServiceNow community group. There is a Linux group. There are all these groups. And that's for that very purpose of not having to be the single resource to know everything about anything, but to know enough to know where to go to get help. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And the, the other thing I would add to that is like, I guess the right word is like humility or humble humbleness or something. Like when we talk about Apache, like, people may go through their careers only needing to stop and start Apache. And like, that is totally fine. Uh, There's a level above that where those people like, you know, they know what all the exit codes mean. Like that's their thing. And like starting and stopping is so simple to them. And then there's another level above that where they're like contributing code to Apache. And like, there's another level above that and another level above that. And I think one thing that's important for uh, technologists is to remember like, you're probably never on the top of that mountain. Like <laughs> you are probably, you may be at the top of a mountain, but you're not at the top of the mountain. So there's always, there's always room for improvement and there's always things to learn. So remember that when people are uh, on a smaller mountain than you're on, and it's probably just a different mountain, not a smaller one. <laughs> Let me tell you my antidote to that. Mm-hmm. I may not be the smartest cookie in the jar, but I'm in the jar. <laughs> right. I'm in the jar, right? right. So- you know, there's there's probably a whole bunch of cookies smarter than me, but I'm in the jar. So that's that's the always mantra I practice for that. You know, I am not going to be on the top of the mountain, but believe me, I'm on the mountain. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Eminent Teachnology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe, and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at eminentteachnology at gmail.com. See y'all soon.